0: We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, actually, with verse 1, seeing the introduction section that Jesus is the answer. Look at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Before we launch into that, let's take a picture of what this crowd was Matthew indicates that when Jesus gave this message, he was focused on those who were his followers. Now there were others obviously there who had not yet surrendered their lives to God, who had not surrendered their lives to him, and so there were lost people in the midst of it. But this chapter 5, 6, and 7, this part of this Sermon on the Mount, what's communicated to us, was directly written to those who were his followers, to challenge and encourage. And so it's good for us to have a picture of who this crowd was And then he begins, in verse 3, showing and telling them and us the opposite, really, of what the world instructs us. is how we are to achieve things in life or how we're to pursue life in general. Jesus did it often. He would talk about what it meant to follow him. And it was in direct opposition, oftentimes, to what the world said, if not every time, was the truth. So let's, in verse 3, see what he of God. He continues in the next three verses, which we'll pick up in just a moment. But if you'll notice in this, he is saying if individuals seek him, place him first, look for him, they will find him. It's interesting in verse four about mourning. Oftentimes, I think when we consider the term mourning or what that looks like practically in our lives, we think of someone who has passed from this life to the next and we mourn the loss of an individual, or if a family that we're close to or dear to us moves and goes to a different location, oftentimes we think, I will really miss that family. I'll miss the consistency of relationship. I'll mourn the loss of that person, that family, those individuals, because they've meant so much to us. But not only is Jesus talking about that type of mourning in this, he's also talking about mourning over our own sin. And that's not something I think that we Consistently as followers of Jesus, those who know him day in, day out, consider in our own lives. How long has it been since you've actually wept over your own sin? Where it was so heinous, so gross, the holiness of God, where we are positioned, where you thought, my goodness, that has to grieve the heart of God. That is not a regular part of my life where day in, day out, I spend so much quality time with him, where I'm considering the heinousness and the grossness of my own sin, where I'm brought to tears. It's just not a regular part of the rhythm of who I am. Maybe it is so for you. But most followers of Jesus that I talk with, that I share with, that I share with me, don't talk about how that's a regular consistent part or pattern of confession, repentance, the mourning of what it would be to know Christ more, for those areas of our lives to be transformed. But that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we are to mourn for our own sin. And what's the result? We'll be comforted. What does the world say related to mourning? Don't show weakness. If you show weakness, you will be trampled upon. What does Jesus say? The meek will inherit the earth. Show weakness. In our weakness, he has made What? Strong, But the world says, and let's just be dead on transparent. The church says, don't you dare be transparent about your life, about your sin. Because if you are, judgment's coming. You're going to be pounced on. You better not show it. If you do, if you expose yourself, even though we talk about how repentance is an important part, And how restoration is the goal. What often happens with church discipline. Somebody gets blown up behind the scenes. Ridiculed, mocked in some respects. And I'm not saying this has ever happened in our church family. But that is one of the things that's happened. Church over church over countries. United States. Where if you show weakness at all. If you really confess your sin to a brother or sister in Christ. The result, oftentimes, judgment, not restoration. Who should we be in that setting? And who was Jesus? For instance, to the woman at the well, breaking down cultural barriers, loving her in spite of. Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like it very much, did they? The religious sect telling Jesus, why in the world would you do that? You can't go to those places. What about the woman being stoned? Or supposedly was supposed to be stoned by the religious leaders because of her sin and the men that she was involved with. What happened to that woman? Did she die? Her sin was apparent. She was standing out front. What happened? Jesus went, began to write something in the dirt. The first one without sin cast the stone. What happened to all of those who were standing around that woman? They left. What did Jesus do? He restored life. What does he do today? He restores life. And so as followers of Jesus, what are we called to do also? Restoration has got to be a goal and at the forefront of our minds and hearts for those who are struggling. Not a punch in the face. To love and come alongside as much as we know how. Do we fail at that? Absolutely. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How do we show that consistency in our lives? So we see this, blessed are those who mourn. We see these different blessings that God says, again, the opposite. Blessed are the powerful, right? So they will reign. It doesn't say that. Moving to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and others all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Does he say if, or does he say when? When. So it shows us if we are following Jesus, if we are living for him, we will be persecuted. It's part of it. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and we know they persecuted Jesus. So who are we supposed to be in our community? And by the way, It's important for us to also keep at the forefront of our minds. We're to be the same people that we are at home, that we are at school, that we are at work, that we are in our community, that we are at church. Our lives are supposed to be the same everywhere we go. How are you doing in that area? Are you someone totally different when it comes to business practices? What about school and walking in the doors for students? Do you show yourself something instead of being who you really are, who you show yourself to be at church? What about at home? Home is a challenging place, isn't it? That's the place where we strip it down and everybody sees us exactly as we are. Sometimes the members of our family catch the worst of it, get the brunt of it. Because that's the place we can really let, as the phrase goes, our hair down. They know us the most. And probably that's an okay thing to a degree because why? Because we show in that setting that we love each other in spite of. We all need people in our lives who love us in spite of ourselves. And let's mention that. Every one of us at points is ugly, nasty, challenged, challenging acting out in the flesh, every one of us. And it's the grace and mercy of God that he puts people in our lives, within our walls, that love us in spite of. I have a friend who passed several years ago who used to say, if you can make it through life with one person who's walked with you all the way through it and loves you in spite of just one, you are a lucky person. So as I look at you, I know The majority, if not all of you, even outside of your family, have at least one person who has walked with you and loved you at your best and your worst and everything in between. And so according to my friend, who I believe was right, you are a fortunate person. God has been good to you in that. We are called to be salt and light in this world. We can't hide it. It's supposed to come out from who we are. And then we see in verse 17, our first section Jesus can transform our lives. 17 through the end of the chapter, beginning in chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So in the Jewish mind, they're thinking, what is happening here? What's the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law? What's Jesus communicating? What is all of this about? For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Fulfillment of the law, of course, being in the perfection of who Jesus was, is, and always will be. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's mention the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees for just a moment. If you remember, they were the religious leaders of the day. Who did Jesus have the most conflict with? The religious leaders of the day. Why? Because they couldn't stand, couldn't believe that this person who claimed to be God actually was. They actually thought it was an abomination. And every time he called out as himself, as being God, they saw it as direct blasphemy. And so they couldn't stand him. The conflict came with those who had the polished outside. But Jesus said they had what on the inside? Whitewashed tombs. On the inside, they were like those that on the outside, it looked like everything was together. But on the inside, a royal mess. In fact, massive distance between what they showed to be on the outside and who they actually were. What do we like at church? The polished outside. How's your day going? It's going great. How was your week? Unbelievable. How's your month been? It's been ridiculous. How's your year? It's the best ever. And we show ourselves to be the shiny, glossed instead of the actual, the authentic, the true who we are, every one of us wrestles with the flesh. Every one of us struggles with sin. We are all works in progress. And if we're not careful, our lives can begin to look like more so the Pharisees and Sadducees than true followers of Jesus. Broken people of whom the fragrance of Christ pours out. There's danger there. And you can believe there's not just danger for you. There's danger for pastors. Now, does this tell us that we've got to be authentic and share all of our guts and everything else with everybody that ever comes across our path? Every sin we're wrestling or struggling with? Are we to just expose ourselves fully everywhere we go? No. In fact, there are verses that say, do not cast your pearls before swine. So if you experience moments where people turn on you or show you something other than Jesus, outside of forgiving them because we are failed creatures, all of us, to not once again expose ourselves in those same settings, but to have people in our lives with whom we can actually be authentic and honest with. Of course, our primary is the Lord. I mean, there are things that we should be talking with the Lord about in our lives that stay contained with he and I and he and you. Every one of us should have that kind of relationship that as we spend time with him, as he shows us things absolutely we share those things but if he is truly our first and foremost when we face issues in life struggles who do we go to first our spouse our kids our friends who do we go to we're called to go to the lord first it's a difficult difficult discipline for us to have in our own lives We don't want to be the whitewashed. We don't want to be the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. We want to be those that authentically, out of our lives, show our relationship with Jesus, having people with whom we can be truly authentic and share and express where we are so we can do what? We can be encouraged and we can be challenged. Who is like that in your life? Do you have anyone right now who truly knows you on this planet? Family aside, family together. If not, you are missing the best for what God has called for you. We move to verse 43, and this is a a challenge. Verses 43 through 48 talk about loving your enemies. Now, the context of chapter 5, again, he mentions not only in 5, but he goes into 6 and 7 about our neighbors and the way we're to treat those. But 43 to 48, he talks about loving those who hate you, and he talks about some of those individuals being your neighbors. Well, at times we can think neighbors are just those who live in houses around us. Or maybe those people we go to school with, or we work with, or we see in the community. But I would challenge us in that, too. Who are our closest neighbors? The people within the walls of our home. Now, again, we've talked about being transparent in those settings, letting our hair down, loving each other in spite of, but that's where it's got to start. If we don't love our spouses, love our kids, love our families in spite of, at times who can seem as enemies, if we don't love them through it, if we don't show that Christ-likeness there, how likely are we to show it with those who know us outside of our own home? Probably not very likely, especially when they cross us. And then for those enemies who hate our guts, some people hate just to hate. Some people have reasons to hate. At least they say their are reasons. For those who are our worst enemies, we are to love as Jesus did. How hard is that? Practically, what does that look like in your own life? It's easy to love those who love us. It's hard to love those who hate us. And Jesus told us, people will hate you if you follow me. Just as he had people who hated him when he lived. In person, in the flesh. So we get to our second section in chapter 6, that only Jesus can connect us with God. Look in verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward From your Father who is in heaven. Again, we consider the Pharisees and Sadducees who at times would take a large coin. And one of the ways that giving took place publicly is for these these Pharisees, these religious leaders, to have this coin and for it to go down this metal circular, uh, almost looked like a, a slide where when it hit the bottom, it would make noise. It would make noise going all the way down and then it would land. Do you think those Pharisees and Sadducees really had hearts for the needy? Or do you think they wanted people to see what they did as an example so their lives and their pride could raise up? Probably the second. In fact, Jesus called them out on it a couple of different times in the New Testament. So our hearts for the needy, for those, and we will always have needy. Until we see Christ one day, there will always be people in great need. At times, us as well. If we're doing it just for the sake of other people saying, man, you're a good person for doing that, thanks a lot then we need to evaluate where we really are with the Lord. You've been overlooked before, haven't you? Bosses taking the credit for the work that you did, standing in front of large amounts of people at times, telling them, I actually did the work. This reflects me, and your name isn't even mentioned. You are completely overlooked the power, the position, everything that happens. Jesus is telling us what? Not just in the parts where the blessings come, where blessed are those, blessed are those who are overlooked. But in this section, we see the religious leaders, again, Jesus calling them out, be careful how you practice your righteousness before them. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Those who take the credit for the work that's been done by you are receiving their reward here. Believe it or not, there are pastors and church leaders that take the credit for God moving and working. And instead of yielding the glory and sharing the leadership and communicating about how God's working and moving in their lives, they take everything, all the credit for themselves. Boy, that's dangerous. How does that help us become deeper followers of Jesus? Those individuals who do that will receive their reward. May we never do that. Truly I say to you, they have received it. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that by your giving, it may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the concept? Are we never to tell anybody about what God has done and how he's impacted our lives and how we're supposed to be called to share, to do whatever he's called us to do. Are we never to share that? Heavens, no. We are to share what he's doing and how he's moving. That's why students shared this morning. That's why the Smiths and possibly others, because of the India trip and the mission that took place, we're going to hear from them too. Not because they're glorifying themselves, but because they're encouraging and challenging us To draw closer to the Lord that he may do a great work in us and allow us to continue to be on mission. Those stories encourage us. That's why we share our lives and our stories with people. To give glory to God, not to ourselves. Verse 10, chapter 6. This prayer, verses 5 through 15, memorized by many, quoted by many all throughout the day. Verse 10, possibly something is occasionally missed. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think at times when we consider the kingdom, we think only of heaven and what's waiting for us. But we don't realize or consider that Jesus has established the kingdom now. It says on earth as it is in heaven. He himself, Luke 17, 23, the reference, the kingdom. He ushered the kingdom in with himself. We are to experience that relationally with him. Now, we don't have to wait. It's a great, a great quote from John Ortberg. Actually, it's several sentences when he was at the Knowing Christ conference in 2014. He said this, What is Jesus' gospel condensed to one phrase? The kingdom of God. The good news to live in the reality of God's presence In his goodness, power, strength, upholding us, caring for us, giving us worth and courage. The kingdom of God has now become available according to the prayer and other teachings of Jesus for ordinary Christians. That's us to live in it now. It is available through Jesus in a profound new way. It is bigger than tradition, bigger than religion, bigger than rules. Reality is what you can count on. And the kingdom of God is the most real thing you can ever experience. Even more real in the chair that you're sitting in this morning. That is God's plan through Jesus. Are you experiencing his kingdom now? So we continue in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 6. This section transitioning really in verse 16, showing us that Jesus can give us peace. 633, but seek first the kingdom, there's the word again, of God and his righteousness. Seek Jesus first, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble." So we're called to so depend upon the Lord relationally with him that when things come in our lives that are challenges, even the good things that come into our lives, we are so dependent upon him that we experience this peace and treasures, treasures, the, the, the Old, Old Testament and New Testament, back to 6, 19 through 24, Jesus talked about where our treasure are is, there, that's where our heart is, and that we can't serve two masters. If we serve two masters, we will never experience peace. The example he gave was God and money. You can't experience an encounter and pursue life wanting both. It's one or the other. What's the result if you're trying for both? Misery. So what's a practical test for us in this? Two things we can look at in our lives. One is our calendar. We're very busy people. How often do we be still and know that he is God? Psalm 4610. You're looking at a guy who doesn't stop very often. To just sit in his presence and be still. Does my calendar reflect that my life focus and desire and hope is fully on Jesus and nothing else? Uh, two letters. N-O, no. What's the other one? Our checkbooks. Oh great, he's going to talk about money. No, I'm not. Maybe for a second. Do our resources in the way we give of ourselves to the needy, our time, our talents, our resources, reflect who Christ desires for us to be in the way we live our lives? If one of those two or both are out of whack, he wants to make adjustments in us so they reflect him. And trust me, all of us struggle there. All of us. We can't serve two masters. We need to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All right, then we can move into chapter 7, and it's really a conclusion, giving us a summary and a warning. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. God, I've been good enough. Okay, what's your standard of good? You want a conversation about good? Talk to Eric Butler and Jason Schilder about what good is. Those guys, and I referenced it a couple of weeks ago, Way of the Master. You're probably familiar with them, with that organization, Ray Comfort, Kirk Cameron, going out, sharing the gospel, utilizing the Ten Commandments to show sin, and then bridging the gospel. Those guys consistently utilize that, that there is no one who does good. The approach of sharing the gospel is an excellent one. Not everyone who says that I am yours is his. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do good? Were we not shiny exteriors? Were we not awesome? And cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name and and say that it was all for you, pastors included. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think we will be shocked when we see the face of God one day and who is with us and who is not. Again, whitewashed tombs, real deals. Blood of Jesus covering sin, really his or not? We will be shocked. Where are you? Back to verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and it's easy that leads to destruction. A lot of people are on that road. It's easy. But for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So if you are truly a follower of Jesus, you are on the right road. But it's a hard road. And people aren't going to get it. Finally, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. How about the rain and the floods? Thank you, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri. And the winds blew and beat on that house like crazy. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the catastrophic things in life, the hurricanes that hit us, cancer, loss of job, loss of a loved one, kids who walk away from the Lord, spouses, divorce, discouragement The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat it against that house and what happened it fell because those individuals had not placed their lives upon the solid rock of Jesus great was the fall of it where is your life founded today when those things come and hit you because they are coming they will come they have come Is your life built upon sand and does it wipe you out every time to the point even where you say, I don't want that, God? Or is it stable and strong and you're on the rock and you can withstand it? When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not their scribes. Our effort in Jesus on our own is not enough. Jesus is the only one who is enough. Where is your life built? And what does God want to do in your life today? Let's pray.